A reading from the prophet Isaiah. In that year, King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were two seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. You may have a seat. In the vast tapestry of existence, there exists a singular, incomprehensible one that transcends the limits of human understanding, the Almighty God, the creator of all that is. As mere mortals navigating the ebb and flow of our finite existence, we find ourselves yearning to grasp the essence of he who stands outside the constraints of time and space, Exploring God's nature is not a mere intellectual exercise, but a sacred pilgrimage of the soul to know him who we were created to worship, for there is none like him. Oh, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. How are we doing this morning? Oh, man, it is a joy to be with you. It, I, I love the new year. I love the excitement. I love the anticipation. Um, I don't know about you, but I've spent the last couple weeks just reflecting back, looking forward. And I just, I get excited for what this year holds. Um, I I get excited for what it holds for our church. Um, In March, we're going to turn 10 years old as a church, which is a huge uh, moment for us. I get excited for looking forward to baptisms and Easter and Christmas and summer and all the, all the joys that happen. And not just as a church, we also individually, this is the time where we always reflect on our New Year's goals and resolutions, right? We say, it's a new year and it is a new me. And then about two weeks in, you're like, no, nah, it's a new year and it's the same me. Yep, yep, that's about where, where I'm at. And here's what I long for our church and for all of us as individuals this year. You know what we need, you guys? We need the presence of God. There's this interesting encounter in the Old Testament that Moses has, and he's leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, and he, and he says this phrase to God. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. And here's the thing. Here's what, here's what I know is that we can meet our, all our goals, achieve all our dreams, But if we do not experience and encounter the presence of God this year, it will be a waste, will it not? And on the flip side, 
We may face some of the greatest trials and pain and challenges we've ever had, yet if we have the presence of God with us, we will walk in deep contentment, peace, and joy. And so as we start this year, rather than saying, all right, here's seven visions for 2024. I, I did a 2020 vision year, uh, that, that first sermon. I look back on that, and I'm like, didn't see that coming, you know? Guess I don't have the gift of prophecy, all right? Um, what if rather than focusing on ourselves to start the year, we stopped and we looked up? And we said, what if this was a year where we focus on the goodness and the grace and the beauty and the love and the sovereignty and the compassion of a holy and righteous God? And we long to encounter him this year. I think, that's, I think that would shape us. And so this is what we're going to do as a church. We're going to spend these first couple months focusing on who God is, that we would know him better and more deeply than we ever have. And so to start, we're going to start with a characteristic of the nature of God that is foundational to everything else that we can learn about him, and that's that God is holy. Now, this is a word, if you actually think about it, I, I, I spent some time thinking about how often we use this word. We, we use this word in more context um, than we probably even realize. There's the obvious religious context is there not there's the holy bible or holy communion uh, pretty much everybody's heard that phrasing but there's expression holy cow that is a lot of cheese right you know uh, you use that phrase uh, on a regular basis uh, there's a catchphrase uh, right that, that we use it is the holy grail Right, right? What does that mean? Oh, that's the ultimate. The holy grail of fast food cheeseburgers, right? We'll use that phrase, which, by the way, we know is not McDonald's. It's not McDonald's. No, no, nobody would even purport that it would be Burger King, right? And it's not In-N-Out. I'm sorry. In-N-Out is so overrated, you guys. Like, yes, it, it just, don't wait in line. It's spongy. No, no. It's, wow, we are. Wow. How was week one? It was great. We had a division in the first service. Yep. <laughs> Okay, but listen, the best fast, the holy grail of fast food burgers is Five Guys. It, it's so good. No, it's so good. Now, it, it tastes like gourmet. Now it's priced like gourmet, so just war I warn you. But it, it's, oh, you get the jalapenos and the mush. Oh, it's just, anyways, I, I, I digress. Okay, we use it as slang, right? An expression of surprise of, or disbelief. Holy smokes, or holy Toledo, or the best one, holy guacamole, right? You know? It's a phrase we use over and over, and we think of it as something that means somebody who is um, morally good, and we've actually even turned it into a negative, right? We say, oh, they're so holier than thou, right? You never use that in a good context. Man, that guy is just holier than thou, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I, I don't like that guy either, <laughs> you know, right? But really, the idea of holiness, when it is used biblically, it speaks to the uniqueness of God the set-apartness of God from sin and how he was always true to his nature. And so we come to this passage today that we read together in Isaiah 6, and, and I love that the seraphim in the throne room of God say, holy, 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 because we're going to look at the three primary aspects of God's holiness so that we can understand his holiness in a unique way, okay? Number one, uh, when it says that the Bible tells us that God is holy. It means that God is completely unique. There is no one. There are none like him. He's completely unique from all separation. In fact, the Hebrew word we get it from, the word kadosh, 
It means to cut off or to sever or to separate. To be holy means to be disconnected, unlike anything else. You're a class of all your own. You're distinct from anything that has ever existed or will exist. Uh, when, I, when I grew up, when I was growing up, my mom had uh, this, this giant china cabinet. Anybody else grow up with a mom that had a china cabinet? Yeah, a, few, a few of you guys. Uh, if, you, if you still have a china cabinet, I'm not going to bash them too much. But it was this interesting, it was this room like in our house that just meant like you couldn't play in that room, right? It was, ours was giant. And it was just filled with stuff. I didn't know where it was from or what it was for. And, you know, we would eat at our everyday meals at home, and we had our everyday normal plates, right? You know, and I remember them so distinctly. There was two sets that we had of normal plates. One, um, it had this, you know, kind of uh, green design around the outside and flowers and like it, we just I, I saw them every day or we had the plates that we made in preschool you know with marker and then you like cook it you know I'm sure that's you know really good for your health you know and like that's what you and we would just every, every meal those are just your ordinary everyday meals but every once in a while someone special not not our own family right not my mother's children but like you know Somebody from church or, you know, uh, so a coworker would come over and my mom would go into the china cabinet and she would get all this whole assortment of dishware that I didn't even know why it existed, right? And normally, my mom was actually a terrible cook. She was, I, I thought chicken was like more like bread. It was just dry and fl- it was mis- until, but every, once a year, the fancy plates would come out, and, and all of a sudden, my mom was like this amazing cook, you know, as soon as like a guest, you know, a, a guest, right? It, you could say that those plates were holy because they are set apart for a distinct purpose. They're, they're not like the regular plates. That's what it means when it says that God is completely unique. Exodus 15, 11 says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome in glory, working wonders. Or in Samuel, the prophet Samuel says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. He is transcendent. He is unique. The qualities that he has, no one else has. Let's just look at a few of them. We're going to dive deep into a bunch of these in this series. But when God is eternal, God has always existed, right? You ever like stop and try to think about that and you get like a brain aneurysm? Like you're just like, what? I can't. Always? Like, but it's even harder to think, no, but like God just started to exist. No, God is always as far back as you can go and as as far, he's eternal. No one else and nothing else is eternal like God. Everything else has a start date. We don't know what it is, some things we know what they are, but, but only God is eternal. Only God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. So only God and teenagers know everything. Like, I, but uh, you ever heard of like the Dunning-Kruger effect? Anybody ever study that? It's this unique effect where the less you know about something, the more you think you know about something, right? Okay, and you study it and you're gonna see it everywhere, right? And you realize the people who actually are the most knowledgeable, those are the ones who realize how much they don't know about any particular subject. Yet when you think about God, and when we talk about God, one of 
the ways to describe God is omniscient, that he knows everything. Everything that has happened, everything that will happen, everything that could happen. So he is holy, as in he is unique, unlike anything else. And then he is, he is self-existent. Everything in this room came from something else, right? You and I, we came from our parents. Every object in this room was made, okay? What, what, how, do, how is it possible that trees exist? They didn't exist themselves. They come from seeds created by God and planted by human beings, right? Even this building, why does this building exist? It exists because in the 70s, roller skates and disco balls were gnarly, bro, right? You know? It, it, everything has been created except for God. He relies on nothing. When the seraphim are saying that God is holy, they mean he is like nothing else. R.C. Sproul puts it like this. It says, when the Bible call, calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. God is altogether different than any being you have ever known or will known. Not to be compared with any God is, he's holy. It says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. This is what it means that God is holy. But not only is he completely unique, but he's also completely set apart from evil. As we see here in Isaiah 5, Isaiah 6, 5, what does he say? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Almighty God. I, Isaiah gets this glimpse of God, and rather than even fall down in worship in that moment, he falls down in woe, because he finally realizes how broken and sinful he is, because he's in the presence of a God who is completely set apart from sin and evil. To say that God is holy, it means he can, cannot do wrong. He cannot do evil. He cannot be unloving. He cannot be unjust. As written in Deuteronomy 32, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. He is without sin. And sin cannot survive in his presence. Sometimes talking about God's holiness, we say this dumb thing. We say, God cannot be in the presence of sin. This is where, uh, you ever seen the, Dr the Drake meme? You need the Drake meme for this. No, 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 that's not right. No, no, no. Rather, sin cannot be in the presence of God. That's what I'm talking about, right? That, that's it right there. It's not that God cannot be in the presence of sin. It's that sin cannot be in the presence of God. Listen to this quote by Jeremy Myers. He's, he's beautiful and spot on. Sin cannot be in the presence of God because whenever God draws near to sin, the raging inferno of his love and holiness washes all sin away. Man, just, just dwell on that for a second. Whenever God is in the presence of sin, the raging inferno of his love and holiness washes all sin away. 
God can no more be tainted by sin than the ocean could be dyed red with a single drop of food coloring. Sin crushes, enslaves, and destroys humanity, but it vanishes away into nothingness at the smallest touch of God's blazing holiness. When the angels, when the word of God speak of the holiness of God, it is speaking that he is completely set apart from evil. That evil cannot survive in his very presence. I think one of the best metaphors of this aspect of God's holiness is to think about the sun. See, the sun, it's unique and powerful. It's the source of beauty on this planet and warmth. It's the source of life. All the, we would not survive without the sun. All the beauty of this world exists because of the energy that we get from the sun. Even photosynthesis of growing plants and those plants feeding us and feeding our other food that we eat. All of life can be traced back to the sun. It's magnificent. It's glorious. You could argue that the sun is holy. And come around May or maybe June, we can walk outside and we can be in the presence of its, we can experience from millions and millions of miles away, 93 millions, million miles away, we can experience the glory of the sun. But here's what I need you to understand is that same power and goodness that generates all life is also dangerous. The sun burns at about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And if this earth was just a few percentage closer, I mean, everything would be eviscerated. We could not, life could not be sustained on earth. And if you were to go near to the sun, to draw near to its presence, you would be absolutely evaporated. And, and this is the holiness of the sun, and this is the holiness of God. Just like things like bacteria are destroyed by the UV rays of the sun, so is sin destroyed by the presence of God. This is why in the Old Testament we get these glimpses that a sinful human being, this is why we read about the temple, that could not enter the presence of God while sinful and unrighteous and not covered by a sacrifice, they would be unclean and it would mean instant death. God's holiness is like the sun. It is both glorious and terrifying at the same time. And third, when the Bible speaks of the holiness of God, it means that he is always true to his own nature. To say that God is holy is to say that God is always God. He is always his nature. He's always loving. He's always good. He's always worthy. He's always righteous. Uh, God's holiness is not an aspect of who he is or what he does. God's holiness is the essence of who he is. Everything God thinks Desires, speaks, and does is utterly holy in every way. William Farley put it like this. Holiness is a fundamental attribute. It is the most important thing to know about God. It is where we start with God. His holiness defines all his other attributes. Day and night, those closest to him, the cherubim 
And seraphim cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Everything about God is holy. Now, it's interesting, even looking at this phrase, what they say about him, they say, holy, holy, holy. They repeat it. Now, why are they repeating it? Because in Hebrew literature and scripture, and even Hebrew language, when you want to make an emphasis, you repeat something, right? You, you look at the teachings of Jesus, and he would say this thing often. He would say, truly, truly, I say to you. As in truly, this is true, but also truly, pay attention. And, and we do this as well, right? You know, like if you're talking with your friend about somebody, and you meet somebody, you're like, wait, 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 that's Michael, Michael? That's, that's Jessica, Jessica, right? That, that's who you're talking about right there, right? Or my, my son, he's 10 years old, and his, he, him and his friends, they'll be having important philosophical discussions about who's the goat. Is it Messi or Ronaldo? Is it Jordan or LeBron, right? And then what happens when somebody brings in another name? What do they say? They're bruh, bruh, right? They're repeating the emphasis to show how ridiculous it would be. You would even suppose anyone. And by the way, it is Messi and Jordan, okay? That's not even, don't mess with that one, bruh, okay? But what's happening here in the language with these three holies is the seraphim are emphasizing the absolute inalterable, essential and total holiness of God. To say that God is holy, holy, holy is to say that God is the most holy. He is totally holy. He is completely holy. He is unwaveringly holy. He is utterly holy. He is always who he is, okay? And, and if you put yourself in this scene, right? And, and we like to do this. We like to put ourselves in these places. And when you put ourselves in this scene and, and all of a sudden you're gonna write a song, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to pick the attribute of God that I want to sing about over and over. What would you pick, right? Some of, us, we, some of us would pick loving. We'd say loving, loving, loving. Others would say powerful, powerful, powerful. Others would say compassionate, compassionate, compassionate. And here's, here's what I need you to understand. Every single one of those words would be true, but they would be wrong. And, and here's why. Because God is not just loving. He is wholly loving, okay? Hear me on that. You and I, we can be loving, okay? But when it says that God is holy and that God is love, it means that God's love is unique from our love. He loves in a way that we cannot love and his love is holy, meaning he can never not be loving. You tracking with me on this? So the most foundational attribute of God that we have to understand is that God is holy because it sets the precedent for every other attribute. He is always and never. To say that God is holy means that he is always and never. He is always loving and he is never hateful. He is always powerful and he is never weak. He is always good and never evil. Always present and never absent. Always light and never dark. Always God and never not God. That's what it means when we talk about and we sing about and we pray about the holiness of God. This is who God is. There is none like him. To say that God could no longer be holy would be to say that God could no longer be God. And so when we say God is holy, we mean he is transcendent. He, he, is, he is like no other. When we say that God is 
holy, we mean that he is separate from evil, that he is without sin, that sin cannot survive in his presence. And when we say that God is holy, we mean that he is always God and he is never not. This is the beauty of the holiness of God. Now, if you're a listening, engaged participant, which all of you are, I can see right now. You can't fall asleep on me because I can see where you're at, all right? <laughs> this is where you say, so what? What does this have to do with my struggles? What does this have to do with my trials? What does this have to do with my pain? What does this have to do with my hopes and dreams? And I am so glad that you asked. First, um, what I need you to understand is that God's holiness is what provides us comfort. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like this world is evil. And I just don't, I'm just not convinced it's getting better. You, you, you feeling me on this? And I don't think this is like, like I'm an optimist. Like I'm, like there's like the half empty, half full. I'm like, this glass is half full and look at all that opportunity, right? I'm like a raging optimist, okay? But I, uh, nobody drive with that, that's okay. Because <laughs> you guys don't like people like me. You're like, all right. <laughs> but when I look at the world around me, I'm like, man, it just is broken. It seems out of control. It seems like evil is increasing and those who do wrong are rewarded and right seems to be punished. You know what we need to remember in moments of this? We need to remember the holiness of God. Every situation, location, or relationship that you've been in or now in or will be in is under the careful sovereignty of the one who is completely holy. He is ruling. And because he's holy, he's always right. Because he's holy, he's always true. And because he's holy, his promises will always deliver. This is what we need to remember in moments of pain and suffering and trial. Did you guys read about uh, the situation this weekend in Portland, that, that flight in Portland? Took off from Portland, headed to Ontario, not Canada, but California. And immediately, you know, they get in the air and then the emergency, everybody wants the emergency exit. You know, you get like extra leg room. The door blew off. Like, like, I'm not making, you can look this up, okay? Like, not now, like later, Google it. Like, the door just gone, right? And people's objects just started flying out the door. One kid had to be held onto because they said it was, it, it, he began to get sucked out the door. His shirt got sucked off his body, right? right? And I'm like, I'm trying to imagine this because I've never, you know, rode flown in a plane in convertible mode, so I don't know what that's like, you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, this is terrifying, right? And so they cut, everybody survived. They were like, people lost their cell phones. I'm like, I think they're gonna be okay, you know? And so they, the flight turns around and it comes back to Portland. And I was reading about it and they have all these videos and pictures. And what's incredible is you see all these people, like oxygen mask drop, all these people, full flight, except for these two seats that are empty. You know what two seats are empty? The two seats next to the door. And it's not because they got sucked out. They missed their flight. 
I'm sorry, but like if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God after that, like good luck, man. You know what I'm saying? Like that is just, they're like, oh, I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe I missed my flight. Now we got to reschedule. We got to, all these, all the inconveniences. I wonder how often we're frustrated by suffering and inconvenience and it's a holy, righteous God saving your life. The holiness of God should give us great comfort. Jackie Hill Perry, she puts it like this in her incredible, incredible book, Holier Than Thou. Or that's not the title of it. I'll I'll look it up and I'll fix it for the next service. (laughs) Or somebody will yell it out at me, okay? You look at the dirt and see a home for your plants. He looked at it and knew he'd name it Adam. Last night, before the sun responded to God's command to rise, the unlit part of the world rested while God neither slept nor slumbered. Sleep is an unnecessary task for God. His power comes from within himself, endless, never suffering from lack. That's why we can reach out and ask him and trust him and beg him for ability, for power or peace. Even in the dead of night, he's the only one who has it to give. This is the holiness of God. This is the righteousness and the power of God. You, all year long, would you just preach this message to yourself over and over again? Evil is not in control. Injustice does not rule. Corruption is not king. Satan will not have victory. We serve a holy God who is righteous, ruling on his throne. Amen? Amen. That is a word that we need. Second, the holiness of God, it provides our cleansing. So as you draw near to God, a holy, righteous God, two things happen. Okay, you draw near in worship or reading the word or in prayer or gathering in church. The first thing that happens is we are overcome and become aware of just how unholy and sinful we are, right? This is what happens to Isaiah. He doesn't have a wow response. He has a woe response. He's finally aware. He's like, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. How can I be in the presence of this holy God? And we need this because sin, you know what happens to us? Sin doesn't always appear sinful to us. It becomes attractive. It becomes magnetic. And it's only in the face of a holy God that we begin to fully realize that our sin is more than just breaking a list of rules, that our sin is a rejection of his righteousness and his rule and his reign. That's what it is. And so we become aware. And so what happens is what we start to do is like, we need to do more and we need to try harder. And, and here's the beauty of the second thing that happens when you enter God's presence, okay? You ever, you ever got one of those, buy an object and it has like a sticker on it? And you're like, you know what I'm gonna do with that sticker? I'm gonna pull that thing off, right? And sometimes there's somebody who was very kind and thoughtful and they made it a sticker that is easy to pull off. And you just pull it off and you're like, now I enjoy my object, but there's a cruel, vile, evil group of people out there. <laughs> and they're like, we're gonna make this out of something that just absolutely eviscerates upon touching it. But the binding agent, the goo, the adhesive, is something that hasn't been developed in thousands of years and shall never remove this sticker. And so you start like scraping. 
And you're like, I'll just scrape it off, no big deal. But as you're scraping, whatever you're scraping it with starts getting covered in that goo or adhesive. And pretty soon, your object is just smeared in this goo. Anybody else feeling this right now? Okay, yeah. And you're like, okay, like I'm just going to throw this thing away, right? This is, can I be honest? Like this is, this is how I feel about dealing with my sin. I get so motivated sometimes, like I'm done with that. It's over. I'm scraping that away. And days, hours, weeks, months in, I feel like I've just made a bigger mess of my life. And I turn around and it, and, and it just keeps popping up. And now it's not just here, it's everywhere. What you need in that moment of scraping that goo off is you need something that utterly destroys it, burns it away, melts it, something that pulverizes that gunk once and for all. And it tells us in Isaiah 6, 6, it says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What you and I need this year in dealing with our sin is not more effort, better tactics, stronger boundaries. I'm not saying those aren't good things. I'm saying what you and I need this year in dealing with our sin is nearness to the presence of a holy God. What if, in what if this year, instead of just trying to stop these things in your life, you sought the presence of God and you allowed the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of his presence to melt that gunk away. This is why the holiness of God matters so much. Because our sin cannot survive in his presence. And it used to be that we as sinners could not survive in his presence. But this brings me to the last and most important aspect is that God's holiness draws us to Jesus. See, this beckons us to a holistic, whole life surrender and worship to the only one who is like no other. Because at some point we finally grasp that we are not even worthy of the breath in our lungs in the sight of a holy and righteous God. We are sinners and we are broken. But here's the beauty of this, that there is one who has made us worthy. There is one who has made us holy. There is one who is purified and sanctified that we too might be glorified. And here's the incredible thing about the Bible is the Bible constantly is pulling back the curtain and giving us these glimpses. And in John 12, we get this glimpse. John explains what Isaiah sees or rather who Isaiah sees. What does it say? It says, Isaiah said this, talking about the holiness, talking about the beauty, talking about the glory, said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. What does Isaiah see in Isaiah 6? He sees Jesus. Jesus is the holy, 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 righteous Lord. He is the holy, holy, holy God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who is seated on the throne. He is the one whose robe fills the temple. He is the one who is worshiped for all of eternity. He is good. He is righteous. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. He is gracious. And he got up from his throne and he took on human form. 
and he dwelt among the sinful brokenness, the evil of this world. And as it says in Philippians, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. This is what the holiness of God does. It, it gives us this awe and wonder when we see how righteous and powerful and separate. And yet, he took his robe off and put on ours. And he dwelt among our sinful brokenness that he could bear our sin that we might have his righteousness. I don't know what that does to you, but to me, it indebts me forever. It causes me to want to surrender all of my life to him. It makes me want to worship him because there are none like him. Amen? No one is creator but God. No one has all powerful but God. No one knows the beginning and the end in the same time except for God. No one is all wise. No one forgives sin. No one can grant eternal life. No one that we answer to but God. No one is unchanging but God. No one is good but God. He is worthy of our surrender and our worship and our praise for he is holy. Jesus, we want to worship you. You are holy, holy, holy. You are like no other. You are completely separate from sin and brokenness and evil. And you are always the fullness of your nature. You are always loving. You are always compassionate. You are always righteous. And so, Lord, as we stand here today, would you just be our comfort this year? These burdens and, that we carry, these fears that we have, these anxieties that weigh us down, would we just hold them before a righteous and a holy God, knowing that you are sovereign and you are righteous rule. Lord, would we bring our sin to you? Would we bring back confession this year? And would we bring our sin and our addiction and our shortcomings into your presence, God? And would you just melt them away? Would you eviscerate them by your holiness and your righteousness? But Lord, would all this draw us into utter reliance and surrender to the true, holy, righteous King, your Son, Jesus? Would we worship him? Would we praise him with all of our breath? We pray all this in your name. Amen.